All right, everybody. Welcome to A New Gets Real. This is episode two. I am so happy uh, about my guest today. If you probably, if you saw the post, you saw what I'm talking about or who I'm going to be talking to, uh, you guys are in for a treat because this person is not only one of my most valued mentors from when I was in San Francisco State. Um, he has been an educator for over 40 years, okay, something like uh, 47 years. We'll be talking to him in a second and we'll ask him the actual time. Um, but he is an audio production genius. And here's the other thing too. He's not just an audio production genius. He has actually trust, uh, actually studied uh, education, how to actually build curriculum. So when I was in San Francisco State, you know, I didn't really think about it then, but he had created an extremely seamless way for us to learn the things that we learn. And today I'm wearing my Audio Geek shirt, which is a shirt I wore that I actually made uh, the, the day before I graduated from San Francisco State. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to introduce you to Dr. John Barsodi. John, are you there? I am here, Anu, and thank you for having me. Well, it's it's actually my honor to have you on here because, you know, I, as I said in the little bit of an introduction is you were essentially my main go to when I was at San Francisco State. It, you made it possible for me to realize that, you know, I could learn so much more of the theory and the understanding of why things work the way they did because I had already kind of started doing live sound um, when I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, so I'd been doing it for a few years, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, that was on on the job kind of learning. My father kind of got me into it. Right. Um, and then to come to San Francisco State and be in your class, it 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 was like all the stuff that I'd learned practically started actually getting better because I started learning the theory behind it. Um, so I have to thank you because I attribute a lot of my career to what you did when, when, when you were there. Well, thank you, Anu. But, you know, it really helps everybody understand and be able to work better when you understand all of why it is that way. I mean, you know, so if you just try to memorize all of these moves that we do uh, during recording and overdubbing and mixing, um, that doesn't really help you remember when you go from board to board or from studio to studio and you're working with different people. But when you realize why things are the way they are, I mean, you know, concept wise, then it's a lot easier and it's easier to adapt to more challenging situations. And when something happens that you weren't, looking at you didn't expect something to, to mess up you probably know a lot of ways to get around it uh, whereas if you didn't uh, that would be probably a game changer for working wherever you were working so. i think that's an important distinction to make right that because i i see a lot of people in different trades you know um specifically audio production and broadcast because that's what i do but i see a lot of people coming up now and a lot of young people coming into the game and they know the moves um but a lot of them don't know why they're doing the thing that they're doing they don't have the background um so it, i think it's really important that people understand why because it's like you said if they understand why then if something goes wrong they know how to get around it you know yeah. it's not like and, oh no it it's broken 
Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. frequently. Yep. Did, did you did you always kind of feel that way, or did you kind of develop that? Because I, I want you to explain. Yeah, a little, I developed what I read that. About your huh? I developed that. It, it, it wasn't. It didn't come at first because I was, you know, not one of those that thought I needed to know why everything happened. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, okay, it's not that difficult. Um, and I was playing music, gosh, from the time I was about 10, 8 or 10. And, you know, was in bands by the time I was 14, 15, you know. And we're, we're playing big venues by the time I was 17, 18. Um, and right around that time, um, I was probably a freshman in college and the person who was our sound person who I went to grammar school with and high school with, right? Good friends. Um, he decided he was going to leave and he decided he was going to go to LA and he was going to work down there and he got a job at a label right away. And, and we went, okay, before you leave, you better show me a little bit more about the PA and about, you know, hooking it all up and doing all of that. And so I learned at first like that. Uh, but then as I got more into it and, and started working in mastering rooms, um, at that point, I was also going to state and I wanted to learn more. And I took one or two electronics classes. And I didn't know if that was going to help me or not. All I knew was, I do not want to be on a job, have something go out, and not know how to get past that. So right. I, I took two classes at state, and then I graduated, and I started teaching. But I also went to an electrical engineering school to keep learning more. Okay, And uh, so I was one quarter short of an electrical engineering degree. Wow. Yes, and the last quarter was manufacturing. How to lay it out on a board for businesses. And I went, you know what? Um, I'm never going to work for a manufacturer. I'm not, I'm not, you know. And so I Why is that? Why? why, why? And and the teacher, well, because I'm not interested in, uh, you know, making a better this or that. I'm not, Mm -hmm. uh, I would rather be in the studio with great musicians and working with them, helping them arrange, helping them uh, engineer and produce. That's what I prefer to do. And if I don't do that, I'll teach other people who want to do that, mm-hmm. which I've pretty much been doing both all the way through. So that was uh, a better take for me. And once I had what I needed, you know, and the teacher was like, wait a minute, you're passing up the degree that could get you started at 60,000 a year. Right. And I go, yeah, but it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, when I leave here, I'm going to go into a doctoral program, mm-hmm. which I'll be higher than that. So don't, yeah, don't, don't worry about me. I'm good. <laughs> don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I've had enough of what I needed. Um, Did you I'm always out. want to teach? Uh, no, not at all. Uh-uh. It was the you wanted to be in the studio. You wanted to be doing that music. I, I wanted to be the musician, the songwriter. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So what uh, was the transition? Because um, I saw when I was looking up, you know, some of the information about you trying to get more information about your past. Um, yeah. That you had actually studied uh, education um, and, yes, and how to develop. Curriculum. I, I studied exactly curriculum design. Right. Designing yeah. curriculum to make it easier for people to understand what you were trying to teach them. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, what made you want to do that? Because you weren't. Well, I, I. Going into... It wasn't. 
it wasn't what I wanted. It was that I was um, forced, coerced, you know, uh, <laughs> the university was not going to make me go up that ladder at all unless I had a doctorate degree. So, Sounds you know, familiar, I fought actually. it as long as I could. I said, look, I've, I've worked professionally an awful lot. Can't I, isn't right. that enough? And, and the answer was, it used to be enough, but it isn't anymore. Yep. You need that degree. And I finally gave up and went to University of San Francisco and got that degree. And I'm glad I did. I mean, I thought about doing it in communication. I thought about doing it at Stanford in, uh, in audio type work. Right. Uh, and I went there and I checked things out and they were quoting people who I was teaching with incorrectly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I just went, yeah, I can't work here. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I would, I would definitely give that teacher, uh, some hassle. I would because, right. you know, if you're going to quote somebody or you're going to tell somebody what they said, you have to do it accurately because, uh, they're my colleague and I can't take what you're doing here. Okay. So I just gave that up. And then I, then I thought about music. I thought about uh, acoustics cause I'm interested in all of those things. Um, and then I went, you know, but if I'm really doing this because I want to continue teaching, maybe I should take classes that would help me be a better teacher. Right. That's why I did it right there. And you know what? It's interesting because I, I always felt like teaching and imparting your knowledge on somebody else is probably one of the best gifts you can give anybody. Um, and I think I personally felt like I had a natural, um, I don't want to say gift, but natural ability to be able to teach. But I will say when I was at San Francisco State, um, I took the uh, education class like you know uh it was the pedagogy class or whatever and sure. it completely changed the way i thought about things like creating a curriculum because how do you take people step by step from you know uh, if you want and you because, have to take them step by step right the, the more really technical is and the hard thing about sound control and audio is the fact that it's not just technical it's mm -hmm. very technical but it's very aesthetic so you cannot you know you could be a great technician and not understand anything about the <laughs> aesthetic needs that we need to deal with and i'd say a lot of engineers are in that same boat they're they're just they're button pushers they don't get that part. yeah i i i and and that's what when when i was in the studio at san francisco state with you um I think it was a really, really healthy mix between the technical aspect, but also making those aesthetic decisions. Because there were there were tons of situations where I remember you clearly yeah. saying, uh, "Okay, so uh, this is what's happening. Uh, what should we do next?" And then like four people would give four different, you know, uh, examples of what we could do, whether it's patching into something else or using a certain plugin or something like that. And then and and I remember that was you before most that was before most plugins I knew. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, you know, you I remember you distinctly saying, "Well, which one do you think 
is going to work best in this situation. And well, right, because I, everything we do, right, whatever we, whatever, if there was four people or six people answering, everybody had a good claim to all four ways. Right. And then it's a question of, yeah, but what do you think about is the best way out of those? Which do you think is the fastest way out of those? You mm -hmm. know, and what do you think is the best way to get whatever the job was done? Mm -hmm. Because that's everybody, you know, and we're we're working on commercial productions. <laughs> everybody wants us to work faster than we work. Right. Well, because it's billable hours, and, right? It's billable hours. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so you're always going to have that kind of a pressure. So you cannot make too many. Let's try this and then let's try that. And then let's try the you know, you you start doing that too long. People are going to get a little bit irritated, going to be watching their their watches and their clocks and, and just getting a little more ballistic in the control room. Yeah. I, I think being <laughs> doing that in and kind of ingraining that uh, was really, really actually helpful to my career because it, it actually also teaches you how to make decisions quickly because it's because there are, there are tons of ways to skin a cat, right? But yeah. one of them is going to be the quickest and the most cost effective. And, and that and, and and it has to be cost effective, but at the same time still get a good product. And being able to That's do right. that at San Francisco State with you, like actually, there were times where I knew there was a better way of doing it, quote better way of doing it, but it didn't have the other factor of also being cost effective. And so being able to make that decision quickly was important. Do you think that? Because I I have to say that. I really do see that I don't think people are being taught in that way anymore. People aren't learning that problem solving thing. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think a lot of that is because a lot of the people who are trying to teach people right now have more of a knowledge of where we are right now and where we are right now <clears throat> is mostly computer based inside a box we're not using as many outboard boxes, which means we're not going to have to patch and we don't, we're not going to necessarily use the best tools because mm -hmm. the best tools cost a lot. I mean, they're, they really they're do. incredibly, incredibly expensive. <clears throat> but if you learned when things were developing and you learned how those worked, why they worked the way they worked, and you, went through all the time period from then to now you're going to definitely be teaching a well more well-rounded way mm -hmm. and it's going to include a lot more technology because we have to do a lot more technology you know one of the things about the new building i knew we you know we have a big patch bay i think it's five double row right right five double oh, rows of just patch. just before we're you go at, on we're there at eight now we're just eight. before you we go on there, eight. I just want to let the yeah. audience know when when you mean by the new building is um, uh, San Francisco State for years has been working out of a certain building for the broadcast electronic communication arts, and um, they just recently got approved for a brand new beautiful building with brand new updated uh, facilities, and um, so that's that's what John is talking about here. So so you're saying it's like a gigantic patch bay, all this stuff. Well, it needed, because of the board that, that I chose, right, for it, um, it, it's got access points 
more than any other board that we have ever had in that in our rooms. Um, so we ended up having to go from five to eight bays. Wow. So it's so, a big patch bay. That's awesome. But everything awesome. will be available. You know. Do you think that it's a transition that's happening where even audio production programs like that, you know, not like the ones in San Francisco, but audio production programs in universities or, you know, trade schools or whatever. Do you think, because I haven't been paying attention much, is there a transition away from learning, see, say, the legacy tools? Um, you know, I can only talk for state. Uh, there are a lot of, of schools that are mostly digital. Okay. There are some schools that, that have analog machines plus that, and that's what we do. We could, we could do a whole session, record it on the computer, uh, and we could do it on the two-inch tape at the same time mm-hmm. easily. I mean, we've been we able did to do that. that for, I don't know. We did do that. But now yeah. we, we could do it a lot more crazily. I mean, it's nice. a lot more nuts. <laughs> it is. I think it's, I think it's important that it's funny actually when I was explaining to there was I was at some gig and um, there was this really young guy I mean he must have been I don't know just turned 19 or something like that um, and he was running the sound and um, he knew of me from working in the same kind of community and so I went over there to talk to him and uh, it's funny but the term he used for guys like you and me was legacy audio engineers (laughs) you know because we're the last, right? Like, how many, how many of um, are there out there that actually, like, when I first started using uh, DAWs, they yep. were practically pointless to use. Yes, that's exactly you know? right. For quite yeah, a they few were, years. Yeah, they, and it was it was horrible, and and some of them are still horrible. Um, <laughs> like for, I, I don't want to get too too tech. I mean, this is supposed to be Tech Tuesday, but I, honestly, the only audio like the DAW digital audio workstation software that I've used that I feel like has a good VU meter gain staging matrix that sounds right and looks right that actually mm. gives me the VU meters that I want is probably Nuendo. Yeah, you I know? agree. And Cubase, they're, they're Cubase quite a, they're quite a well, few but... years. They're quite a few years ahead of second right. place. I mean, honestly, their... like, like with Pro Tools, um, I would look at the VU meters, then I would look at my uh, groups, and I would look at my master bus, and I'm like, how can I be at these levels yeah. on all people these channels? Overload and still those, get that there? People overload those buses all the time on Pro Tools. Yeah, and it didn't because because I mean, the readouts are wrong. The actual graphical user interface is wrong, and Logic's even worse. I don't know if I mean their Mixbook sounds cleaner now, but like the the actual readout was horrible, and right. so I would do, be doing everything by ear. I couldn't even I couldn't even pay attention to that. And Innuendo, I think, was the only one that um, was giving you an actual good readout on the VUs. Yeah, and it, it well, they're just, really it just, they're really getting a lot larger now. Um, one because Yamaha bought them, uh, really? but, oh yeah, years ago. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's so they why... bought Steinberg or they bought the product? They bought Steinberg. Holy shit. Lock, stock and barrel, man. Yeah. That was about, 
I don't know. I'm going to guess eight to ten years ago. Wow. Yeah, and what was what was really kind of bad was that before that time, um, the 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 German folks that that own Steinberg really are not into giving students discounts of any sort. Right. Period. And as soon as Yamaha bought them, it took about six months, eight months. And they started having student rates on Nuendo. And at first, they started about 900, and the program was going for 2,000. Mm-hmm. And then, then now it's I think 450. It's going to happen. Student full version, which is great for our students. I mean, it's just fantastic. Um, so it's it's come a long way. And the other thing that happened was that yeah, Yamaha is probably the biggest good manufacturer of keyboards in the world um and drums and you know like they make tons of yeah and 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 god knows everything i mean they make all of it but one of the things was that hey they make synths they make keys and so now nuendo is coming stock with some fabulous keyboards that's awesome yeah i i I remember when when you introduced me to Nuendo, and just to give people a time reference here, um, I was at State, what, 2002 to 2005? Yeah, that's about right. right. So so back then, when you introduced me to Nuendo, Nuendo was purely a DAW. Pretty new, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was yeah, a, a DAW. That's all ago. it was. It, right. there, there was no There was no real music production in there uh, beyond being able to do uh you know staff notation midi stuff it right. was it was and and the a, scoring yeah they it did have a, the scoring in there they did have the scoring right but it was essentially an audio pro- production engineer's dream come true because it did the job that it was supposed to do right and uh that and the fact that it was more like large consoles right real right large consoles and right. and there was no daw that was like that. Okay, we had, uh, th- those of us who were always in the big studios with those big boards, we would just kind of make fun of those people working on mm-hmm. the workstation because it was like little toys compared to what we were using to record and mix. And right. then they were just going to the DAW to just record mm-hmm. so that they could not have to buy all that tape that we use. And, you know, that's, that's a big change. That is a big change. I, yep. Do you think that... Like, is it change? You know, we talked a little bit about how there's a lot of schools now that are just purely digital. Do you think that that's a huge disservice to people that are coming into audio production? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Because the difference between um, if you could record uh, in in analog, okay, like a two-inch tape deck, the difference of dynamics mm-hmm. of what's possible is is large, Okay, it's, it's really, really large. Yeah, we could record up to plus twenty-four. Right. Okay, on the tape, and it's and it takes it. Okay, the boards take it, the tape takes it, um, and on a computer, that's pretty much impossible to do. So right. one has to then take care of loud, dynamic instruments in a different way if you're right. going to a computer, and they're never really going to sound alike, you know, and. I've pretty much done most of my mixing the last 10 or 12 years uh, in in the box mm-hmm. with Nuendo. 
but I record everything in analog and then transfer it. And, and my transferring isn't like most people would transfer. Most people transfer, they just get the tones from the beginning, lower it down by about 18 dB to get into the right. computer. Right. And then that's it. And they don't listen and they don't do anything. Okay. For me, that transfer is a, a big, huge step in our production process. Oh, it's, it's a huge. second chance of, you know, starting my mix, really. Mm -hmm. um, so while it's in analog, I might use more things that are in the analog domain before we hit those converters and get into the into the computers and massage things that we could not do because of time constraints while we had the live band in there. Right. Couldn't, couldn't do as much as we wanted to. Everybody'd start to get bored and you know, it's like, God, can't we, can't we record one now, man? I mean, come on. So, you know, you have to pay attention to that. You have to keep everybody's energy up, you know, right. and in, in doing that, then you make some compromises and that transfer time is the time to take some of those compromises clock. I mean, it's running, but it's not running heavily right then. Uh, most people are not there when we do that part. So we could spend a little more time and make the transfers work better so that during the, we're actually doing part of the mix on the transfer, even though we're not mixing any sounds together. That's the best way I can say it. I, I honestly, it, you know what? Here's the thing. The, the funny thing is, is that that same concept actually plays out even if you're going straight to digital. Um, when I was in, it was in recording studio, when I was in my recording studio, um, and I've done recordings in other studios, I always did stuff as much as I could on the analog side of it to get in. Because the one thing that I knew, uh, that they don't talk about, right? Like they don't, these manufacturers, they, they tout this equipment, like it, it can do anything, but it's like, even if you're recording at the highest quality, like you're recording on like a 192 AD converter, right? Like all the way up there. Um, when it comes to something like recording a piano, uh, or, or, or even a, you know, like a proper string instrument, harmonic overtones get lost. They get lost. Yes, yes they do. And they get lost the quickest. They, yeah, they do. And so I would they spend do. a lot of time, making sure that the miking was right, my gain staging was right, my EQ on the way was in, in, you know, going in was right, um, and bolstering as much possible on the way in because I knew I was going to a place that couldn't handle it all. Right. And, and it's, it's crazy. But they don't teach people, that stuff anymore. No, and they a lot of people don't get it. And the other thing that I've noticed is there's a reluctance for people like that to be EQing a lot on the way to the tape. Right. Right. Okay. There's, this, there's this digital I mean, added I always world. Yeah. Everybody, look, I, when I'm recording, I'm really thinking of what I want on my mix for every one of these mics. Mm -hmm. And now I could EQ lots of different things to be able to separate tones and bleed and other things so that when I get to the mix, the mix is going to be much easier for me. Right. Okay. The other thing is, is that if you do that, 
you will know you, you've already tried as best you could to get everything to be as good as you can. Mm-hmm. You'll know if it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, you still have time to change mics. You right. still have time to move people around in the room. But if you thought, oh, I don't need to do it during the recording because mix downs are so good now with digital, I could change almost anything to anything. And it's like, yeah, no, you really can't. No. So what what's going to happen is you're not going to find out you have a real big problem until it's way too late and the band is gone they're back on the road and you're out of luck and you've got to tell people i can't fix this right basically. or or you're going in and you're like okay and that's why they have all these plugins now right um that's right these these the the the, the tube warmers and the and all this stuff or the uh, the they've got the they've actually got you know they've got plugins that add harmonic overtones back in and stuff like that yep. they've got all this stuff now to they've even got somewhere you could pick uh, you know, odd or even number overtones. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it, like, it's, it's it's crazy because they have to use all this stuff now because I think the education about what's missing in digital isn't there. You know, that's I think that's what's missing. That's definitely part of it. But the other reason is if you don't keep coming up with new stuff, you don't make any more money. So, the I mean, and this is one of the reasons why I said, you know, I'd never go into manufacturing because that's not the business I want to be in. I would rather be in the business of making better and more music and not, you know, trying to make money from selling things, especially, you know, like plugins. Right. It's like, my God. I know. I know. I want to switch gears a little bit here. um, And I want to get into a little bit more of, I want to ask you what your thoughts are on what's happening with education in general, because you know, lockdown aside, we'll definitely talk about that. But lockdown aside, how do you feel the trajectory of education is? Because so much more is available online. So much more. Like I taught myself how to do so many different things in the past 10, 15 years, purely off of online. What place do you think, um, what place do you think traditional institutionalized schools have in this new paradigm of how people are learning? Well, I think that uh, hopefully um, kind of the same things that we're doing at San Francisco State University will be brought up the same way in more institutions. I don't know that that's going to be true, but I do know that if it were to be that way, I think more people would have a much more rounded education because we're, you know, really putting people through um, the fact that when you use certain types of equipment uh, that are analog, things are quite different than when we use our digital systems. And it's not to say that one is better than the other and we need this, we don't need that. We need both. And when you understand how different they are and what are the good things about one and what are the good things about the other, you're going to have a much more, um, much more breadth, a wider breadth of information to deal with, to be able to make good decisions about working in sound. And if you only went one way, um, the good news is it's a lot cheaper. I mean, more people could teach that because 
you know, you need a computer and you need plugins and you don't need as many mics and you don't need all the big tapes and you don't need all the big decks. Uh, but you're not really showing them how different they are. And you're mm-hmm. certainly not showing them what the good parts of the one is compared to the good parts of the other. And right. to me, that's incredibly uh, important. Really it, incredibly important. It, it, it is so important. I couldn't imagine how different my mixes and all the work that I've done in audio would have been if I didn't understand what was missing in digital from analog. It, I, 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 my, 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 my quality of work would be completely different. There are so many things that I did in addition to what you'd normally do to record and stuff because I knew I didn't have that I had to work in a digital world. Um, right. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of musicians, when I, when I started my recording studio, um, in San Francisco state, I'm sorry, in San Francisco, I remember we used to have a lot of potential clients and things like that, uh, that would come in and say, we only want to do analog. We only want to record an analog. And we're like, that's great and all, but like, we should also look into some of the things that we can do in digital. Like analog isn't the end all be all. Um, and then there's some musicians right. that are like, screw analog, digital is just as good. Um, and I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of like naive perceptions about what one and the other is. You know, some people are like, indie bands are like, oh, I only do analog. And some people are like, oh, I only do digital. And it's like, no, you guys, like, they're amazing tools in their own respect and you need to learn how to use them together. I think so. I, you know, like I said, I've been doing that for a very long time commercially just for myself mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I was not able to go out and buy the half a million dollar board right. that could do what I want to do in analog. Okay. Um, I could go to somebody's studio and use it, but I, I was not going to be able to buy one myself. Uh, but I could get a really good DAW <laughs> and build my own really good computers and then be able to use all the wherewithal that I would have had in that half a million dollar board and I could do it in my own space, right? So, you know, there's that too. That, that's, that's another uh, big draw about being able to do that. However, I wouldn't necessarily use it in the recording process. I would more use it in the mixing process. Absolutely. Do you think that there's do you think that there is a a transition happening in education where a lot of educational institutions are just opting for the flashy new thing because you know we had a conversation about a week or so ago about how there's these trade schools coming out these private you know trade schools and stuff like that that are coming sure. out um you know, there's the, you know, the whole University of Phoenix type thing, the whole Expression Center for New Media, the, you know, all yeah. these little, all these things that are there's coming out. Yeah, and they're all, it's like, when you go to their website, it's just a pictures, pictures of really, really nice new equipment and all this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, they've got name brands everywhere. You know, they've just got name brands. 
as opposed to like what the gear helps you learn because they're trying to get people to be like oh i went to this school's website and they talk about having neumann microphones and they talk about having you know uh ssl boards and i know i heard my favorite artist talk about his ssl board in a youtube video that must be the top-notch stuff and you know they draw people in into these schools um, no, no shade on SSL, by the way, because I, I actually like their boards and no shade on Neumann, of course. Uh, but but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're I feel like a lot of these schools are drawing people in um, off of like name brands. And it's it's they kind are. of interesting. That's what and, manufacturers do. Right. That's the whole that's, you know, they have to keep selling stuff or they go out of business. So that's what they do. You know, I do have a little matter. bit of a bone. I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with manufacturers. You know. Oh, me too. I always yeah, have. because because it, it, I feel like what they've done in the past 15 20 years, right, is they try to sell their equipment as if the equipment is what making is what making people put out good music and good sounding stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I, yeah, they, they don't do that. <laughs> they don't do that. None of that do, do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like for a while I was doing the music wedding. Is the music, the equipment is the equipment. And some equipment does sound better than others, but yeah. it's not going to help the person write a better song yeah. or write a better melody line or any of that stuff. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Never will. I remember um, the, the, the analogy someone drew for me was. Um, you know, if you put Michael Schumacher in a Toyota Corolla and you put yourself into an F1 racer, he's still going to beat you in the Corolla because he's Michael Schumacher. <laughs> you know, he's just a yeah, better and, driver. And nobody else could probably get the F1 to start anyway, man. Yeah, exactly. So, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's 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 one of those things. And I, I loved that analogy because I was like, that's so true. You know, for a while I was yeah. doing wedding videography. Uh, and some photography as well. And it, I can't tell you how many times someone walked up to me and said, um, oh, what camera are you using or whatever, right? And, and, um, and, and there were times where some of those people had better equipment than I did. And then they'd see the work that I did and they'd be like, how do you get your stuff to look so good? It's like, because I That's know right. how to use the equipment. Yeah. The equipment That's isn't amazing, using isn't me. It? <laughs> That's That's the key right there is knowing how to use all the equipment the right way. That's right. what's going to make the difference. But it's also how you're dealing with your, your clientele. I mean, right. you, that's a, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that. It's always about the equipment. <laughs> Nobody about talks about that. <laughs> board. And it's like, guys, you know, when you're in sessions, it's pretty crazy sometimes. It is. It's a very unique situation and a lot of money is going back and forth and um they they want to you know they're going to go in there you know and, and for musicians it's like they might have been playing these songs for the last eight months right mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're going to go into a studio and how they play that day is the ball game right and and that's that's really nerve-wracking for musicians um I can remember the first studios I went in and, and, you know, they kept trying to separate us, um, you know, physically in the room because it was a big room, high ceilings. And, 
we could barely hear each other to be able to play together. Mm-hmm. I felt like, uh, uh, you know, the rat in the maze. I mean, it was like walls all around uh, kind of stuff. And, you know, I was like, this is not making it work right for us because we are used to playing closer together. Mm-hmm. We're used to playing all together. And they were recording us all together, which was nice. But, you know, it, it just didn't feel good right? Uh, with walls in between us. And it, and it definitely changed how we played. There was no... No question about it. And so, you know, the engineers and the producers all need to understand those things. And so do the musicians, because Mm -hmm. if if they get all, you know, stressed out, um, the session is not going to go well. Musicians are fairly, you know, temperamental. They're artists. So, you know, once somebody gets on a downer, uh, usually it's maybe time to take a break. Let's go out and have dinner, and then we'll come back, and hopefully everything will be better. But right now, if we just keep going, you guys are just going to get more and more mad at each other. So let's stop. You know? when, it's hard when to, were... to, to know that, you know? Right. It is hard to know. That. And, and, and the other thing is, too, I think people – I, you know, I – I have people ask me all the time, and I'm, I'm sure you do too, like singers and stuff like that. Singers specifically ask this question. Um they ask like what mic should i get or you know something like they ask one of those things or they they say hey you've been doing this for a while what is your i'm going to be going into the studio soon it's my first time um you know at or 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 they say i'm going to be performing live finally in front of people i've always just sung but i never sang in front of a you know in an audience or anything like that with with live sound and all that stuff and the pa system like what do you recommend and um I remember the number one thing I think I told pretty much every singer that I've met that was doing that first time. I said, well, go out, get yourself a microphone and practice with the microphone at home. Because I can't tell you how many singers I've met that that honestly pick up a microphone and they don't. I think a lot of people don't know how to use it. Yeah, they think I'm going to put the microphone in front of me and it's just going to pick up my voice. (laughs) You know, like they don't learn that there's a certain thing. Thing about how to use microphones you know they they've seen people like Michael Buble and Christina Aguilera and you know all these people with the with tromboning the microphone and they're yeah. like why are they doing that it's like there's a reason there's a definite reason yeah and it's a big big reason yeah and they know how to do it and and you know I'd tell them also to put headphones on right yes exactly so so you know they're glued to their speakers and then they could re- decide, whoa, I just moved the mic this way. And all of a yeah. sudden I'm gone, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, how about that? <laughs> and we're sitting there hassling with it just to try and keep them, you know, in the ballpark. And it's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's funny that, you know, like with carpenters, right? You would never think that they'd be like practicing carpentry without a hammer. You know, like, you know, and then like for like a singer, it's like, are you, how are you, why are you not practicing with a microphone? Uh, right. You really should, you know. Well, you, you need to, you need to know and how to use your voice and your diaphragm and get all those notes out. You, you need mm-hmm. to know that. You need to know your inner voice and all that. You need to know that. But after you got that, now you need to do it with the microphone to know how do I deal with 
you know, my voice and this microphone to get everything to carry out to that audience. And that's a different deal. It's a complete, yeah. it's now it's a whole nother level up that, yeah. that they have to learn, you know, but you watch any great singer and yeah, they're moving in and out of that mic all the time, but all they the time. know how to trail. Yeah. Exactly. Take the mic away and you're like, Oh man, damn, did you see that? You know, yeah. and they're, they're really good at it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's times that I just watch uh, videos of Michael Bublé performing live, and I mean, he's mm -hmm. up there with a with essentially a studio microphone. You know, he's up there with like um, he's up there oh, with yeah. that Neumann KMS 105 or whatever the the condenser. Yep. Um, yep. And that Tight is condenser. you do not want to mess with that microphone. If you, if you have a <laughs> if you have a singer that's not you know trained on that microphone. Good. Yeah. Do not give them that microphone, right? You could you could mess up bad, but he knows exactly how to use it. And I watch his technique. It seems like he's being actually kind of lackadaisical about it, but he's not. It's very very on purpose, you know the the way he's using the microphone. If you I don't know if you've ever watched any of his stuff, but he does. I, I have not. But when when you were at state, <clears throat> was it the time when uh, there was a guy named James Karen mm -hmm. who came in to record? Right, I remember James. That's his. That's his audio guy. Okay, everything makes a lot more sense now. It makes a lot that? more that's sense. A small world, man. That is such a small world. That's crazy. Yeah, he's been working with Buble for about about four years now, something like that. Everything just clicked because I was like, "Who is the audio engineer that had the balls to give him that microphone?" <laughs> now it makes sense. Now it yeah. makes sense. How is James, by the way? <laughs> uh, last I saw him, he did come up to see me one time up here in Sebastopol. Um, and he's fine. He's married. He's got a little kid. It's uh, He's doing really good. That's awesome. That's it, it makes me so happy. I think he ought to be doing more of his own music. But aside from that, he's doing well. I kind of remember that being your bone to pick with him always. That he just needed to make more music, and then he would say the same thing to you if you don't. I don't know if you remember. I, but... I totally understand that. Yes, and he's not alone in that one, right? <laughs> and I Listen, keep wanting I, I, to do more writing. I want to ask you how the current situation is affecting what you do at San Francisco State, like. It, obviously the lockdown pandemic here or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. The pandemic okay. and how the lockdowns are affecting you know, how education and what your curriculum, how your curriculum has changed or, you know, the modalities by which you're doing it. Well, it's, it's, it's hurting it is what it's doing. I mean, it's hurting. Um, I mean, you know, when it happened and we closed in March, I mean, we didn't see that coming. All of a sudden it was just, boom, we're, we're shut. You guys have to do everything online. That's it. And at first I was, it took me about a week or week, week and a half to get my head around, how am I going to do what I do on the computer? I mean, and, you know, do I have a lot of equipment at home? Yes, I do. But um, to teach my class recording, right? We, we, we don't have access to mics. We can't bring the, the students anywhere collectively because that would be not a good move. Um, 
So what could we do on the computer systems that would help them learn uh, about production, right? And what I realized, there was a couple things. One was um, I was still using Nuendo 4 at that time, last March. I mean, what are we at now? Just because it worked 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so the school went from four to six. And then we mo we had just moved up to eight about a semester before that. And I'm going back and forth from eight to four or six to four, right? Um, and just learning the differences that they added, you know, in six and eight. So I, I sat there and I went, you know, number one, yeah, maybe I should upgrade mine because I haven't done it in years. And I, I'm just going to go all the way to 10 because that way at least I could show them what will be happening when they get back into the studio. Because at that point, I thought we'd be back in in spring. Now it's questionable whether we'll be there in spring and um, in the new building. And in the new building, I'll have 10. So I figured, okay, why don't I buy 10 from my own production company? And that way, I'll be able to teach them the newest Nuendo. And uh, then when, we, when I met with the class that had already been going for about, about two months, about two months, about six meetings in, and they were just getting heavy into production, right? Ready to, we did one band at that point. And all of a sudden we had no access to mics and we couldn't do any bands and the sound design team couldn't do really anything. I mean, they do everything as a group. So, you know, there were no groups. So um, I thought, well, if I teach them that, what should we emphasize in the right. class? And it took me about four or five days to get used to 10 compared to eight. And then it took me a little while to get used to Zoom um, and its intricacies, right? And what I can do and what I can't. And what I realized was uh, I've been wanting to teach a mixing class at State for years, 15 to 18 years. And I never was able to do it because I was already teaching an intermediate, uh, a beginning advanced, and a, and a real advanced capstone class. And they told me, well, if you want that class, that's great, but you've got to give up one of the other classes, and then we're going to have to try and hire another faculty to take care of that. And, you know, they're going, I don't, I don't think we could do that. So I never got to teach the mixing class, and consequently, the advanced class never got what I call detailing. Okay. In mm -hmm. other words, instead of a, a quick commercial session where we did the whole thing in a week or a week and a half, um, it's like, no, 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 we're going to do a detailed session. We're going to, we're going to really work at little intricate things to make everything sound great. Okay. It's going to be a high end production that takes a lot of time and experience to do. And right. That was when, when I talked to the class and we were on Zoom and I'm going, look, we could spend time on a lot of different areas. What areas would you guys like to learn the most with 10? And we'll go through it. And almost everybody said mixing. Right. We don't, we, 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 you've brought in productions that commercially you did and we saw how intricate they were. What we haven't seen is you doing it. 
and explaining it as you do it. That would be, that'd be what we want to do. And I said, okay, but instead of me just doing it, I'm not going to do that. We're going to do it together. This right. is going to be a group mix of the whole class and I'll be your engineer. But collectively, we're going to figure out what should we do next? What's the next step? What's the next, you know, because you've got to do things in an order. If you don't do them in a good order, pff, your mix probably has no shot in hell. So we did it that way and walked all the way through it, all the, all the digital patching, all the analog patching, everything. Um, and we came out with, I think, two different cuts. One was nice. more of a basic one and one was really heavy duty. Um, and everybody learned an awful lot. Uh, it was it was the first time I've ever been able to teach that kind of a class ever. So so what I'm hearing is that there's there's been definitely some advantages to how you teach by doing this kind of remote type thing. Um, yep. But at the same time, there's been some problems uh, that, you know, because remote learning can't let you do certain things that like right. there's yeah. like mic placement specifically right like mic placement specifically mic placement, there's some there's something organic the about yeah yeah, yeah there's something organic about the 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 kind of tactile moving the mic around and actually listening to it at the same time to see what you're getting That's right. and and Absolutely. that kind of learning that kind of hand to eye coordination right you can't do that there's no way of teaching that in remote things. Do you think nope. that, do you think that there's a, do you, do you think that, you know, I mean, cause you were saying there's no real definite on whether or not uh, you, you're going to be able to open up and have people come back in to the school this in spring. spring. Right. We, we may have, uh, we are trying to get them to okay a class where two classes actually four thirty and five thirty where we can do some online and have, so out of a 15 week semester, right? Maybe have four or five face-to-face -face meetings interspersed with the Zoom meetings. Um, but that, I mean, that gonna, is that gonna do it? No, no, because how could you do a recording of a band in a room with several students right as a matter of fact we only had one class that had any face-to-face -face, okay and they had 16 weeks four meetings face-to-face -face, or five something like that and you know you know what ended up and they were with lawyers for san francisco which were making it even more difficult to contend with okay and what ended up happening the best that we, we could get was faculty is down in the studio with a mic and a video camera upstairs so they could see what the student's doing, but the teacher could not be with the student in the same control room. There was nobody in that room except for one student at a time wearing a mask, had to have their temperature taken, and the faculty be downstairs. After that one hour that that person has, they had to clean everything out, wait, a period of time I don't remember what and then one more student can do it it just and, it just know, yeah I mean, that's it not just a, gonna... that's not workable 
You know, this is going to, you know, I never thought about it. I didn't actually think about, you know, the education aspect of it till you and I started, you know, till we started calling and talking again. And, you know, the more that I think about it, I'm thinking like, this is going to be, you know, this whole pandemic thing and the lockdowns are not just a economic problem. Like it's also going to be a huge problem mm. in terms of having qualified individuals in the workplace, even when the lockdown uh, goes away. I mean, That's th- there's a long yep. reaching kind of, you know, detriment to, to the workforce because we're going to have people that haven't had the actual training they need to go forth and actually work in the workplace. And so that this is, I mean, this is, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's crazy. There's going to be all these hey, teams. I spent, I spent a lot of time in there just thinking about it and going, you know, if I, if it were me and I was near senior level, right. Mm-hmm. I'd probably take one or two semesters off. Just wait. Just wait, because yeah. it's it we we've gone to so many lengths to be able to get all this equipment in a new building, and then not being able to possibly use it at least in the spring, probably by next fall we will. But but still, it, it's like if that was the only time you had in your last one year at a university that had all that stuff. They had the teachers there. They had the equipment there, but we can't use it. And and it, it's like, okay, but it would have also been bad if we just all met naturally because then, yeah, we'd be spreading it right in there, man. Those rooms are not that big. They're all closed off. As you mm-hmm. know, 43 used to get very hot, and it's better now. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It is better, but it's not great um, but yeah, you wouldn't want to be in there with 20 people. No, you I mean, I, when I remember when we were there in that tiny little control room, uh, sometimes there were 12 of us in there, you know, 12 times there were more than 12 of you in there. Yeah. 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 Some of us the were 20... standing outside. <laughs> that's right. In the doorways. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's just dawning on me that, you know, there's such far-reaching problems that are being created oh, yeah. by the lockdown. Last semester, I had I had 20 people in a class, and I think, and this is unusual, but in that semester, I think 17 or 18 of the 20 were all graduating mm-hmm. that term. So they finally moved all the way up to 530. They finally got their name on, you know, on the door so they could have access without me there. And then they couldn't do it at all. Shit. I mean, though, I remember when I had access like that, that was some of the time that I learned the most. Well, of course. Yeah. Because I was in there futzing yeah, around trying stuff. to figure things out. Yeah. That's right. You and know, until taking you what I learned that, in class. Yeah. Yeah, until you do that, you, you're never really sure if you can do that. Yeah. But once you get in there and you try it, and maybe the first couple times something was happening and you didn't really get very far, and then the next time you go in, all of a sudden, oh, I know what that is now, and I'm going around it, and I'm, I'm, now I'm really learning. This is great. That's what it takes. That's you know, exactly it's, it takes. it's one of those things like I, 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 you know, I speak to people all the time in the education field and things like that, and um you know i was i've always had this belief that most jobs 
<laughs> Most things that people do, people can do from home because the internet allows us to do it now. But there's some things, obviously, that no, the person physically has to be there. You know? Yes, they do. You can't fix it. And they a have to go through those through changes to get better. Right. They have to. Yeah. You can't fix a car through Zoom. Um, you can't, I mean, I know there's doctors doing surgeries remotely with robots and stuff. Like, I, I get that, right? Like, but with audio engineering, you just can't. You just, you just can't. It's, it's unbelievable. It's true. I mean, I couldn't imagine it's trying to do too. a mix remotely. <laughs> yeah, well, nowadays, there could be four or five engineers all working on the same thing in different places, <clears throat> all working together at the same moment in time. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. That's it's it's crazy stuff. Do you do you think not that, that I'd want to do that, by the way? <laughs> I know people who are doing that, but you know. Ugh. So I mean, this must be affecting schools, right? Like San Francisco State, like is it heavily affecting budget and things like that? Like how how's heavily 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 because a lot of people. I mean, remember now. Okay, there's good news, bad news. When. <laughs> Well, 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 think about it. When when people all of a sudden last March were, you know, going to be able to Zoom every week of classes, are their parents going to keep them living in San Francisco? Or are they going to say, come on home, yep. you know, come back here. And now they're, they're wherever they are, and they're Zooming from wherever they are, Right. hopefully with a decent Wi-Fi system and, right. and then being able to handle it that way. Um, most of our students are not in the area anymore right now. Well, internet is cheaper than rent in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, by a long way too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy, crazy how much it costs to live right in San Francisco at this moment. John, are yeah. you grooming anybody? Because you, you, you talked about, you know, you talked about when we were on the phone earlier, you talked about the fact that you're, I mean, you've been doing it 47 years, something now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you say teaching, teaching, right. There. Teaching. I've teaching been there 40, for more than that, but yeah. right. But <laughs> you've been teaching 40, for 47 years. Um, you are, you, you said earlier that you are on the tail end and you're looking to start, going into the retiring type situation when you say retiring does that mean because i know you you don't stop um do, do, are you saying a couple of years five years like what do you i mean oh i don't think i'm gonna last five years no you know maybe two maybe one and a half i don't know it depends on when we get into the new building once i can get into the new building you know how how that goes and how I'm feeling, I mean, you know, driving, you know, it used to be when I lived in Woodside, it was only 25 minutes to get to the school. Now it's about an hour and 15 minutes to get to the school. Um, and I'm teaching two classes a semester instead of three. And so I only have to go twice a, a week. Um, and I'd like to be able to do that in the spring every, every time. But I know that that's not going to happen. At the most that's going to happen is maybe five or six meetings in the city, which is 
okay, I like it up here. <laughs> it's, it's really pretty up here. It's way more laid back than where I used to live. Um, and so, you know, I like that. A lot of animals up here. Do you think you'd continue longer if the if if the remote learning thing was more of a thing, or would you would you uh, still want to retire? I'd still want to retire. Yeah. yeah Are you grooming I, anyone? I, yeah. To, absolutely. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Yes. Because yeah. because it would be a shame to lose the way you've built the program there at San Francisco State by bringing in you know somebody that doesn't somebody understand else. yeah i mean it's it's yeah. it's got to be in the family it really does because the program there is is amazing and and you know and i still the, the fundamentals that i learned there are still a part of my everyday thing like i you know from picking microphones to everything and you know like everything I the things that I learned how to do there helped me learn how to do even more in other things. Like I was a pure sure. audio guy and now I do broadcasting and camera work and all this stuff and and I use the fundamentals that I learned there to be able to learn those other things. So it's it would be a shame if you're not grooming someone. So I hope I hope that that's definitely happening. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure. They're starting their doctorate program. Oh, good. Oh, good. Is Vinay <laughs> so, Srivastava still there? Vinay is still there. Now, did you know Rajiv Naidu? I didn't know him. No, I didn't. I I don't okay. think I took any classes of his. Okay. I don't think well, I took he's any who class. I'm grooming. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's teaching the four thirty class now. I'm teaching three thirty and five thirty. Nice, nice. Is uh, nice uh, Dina guy. Ibrahim he, still there? Dina is still here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, She's she on was... leave right now this semester but yeah she's still here do you th do you think that uh san francisco state seeing what's happening with the lockdowns and having to do all these um you know remote classes do you think that they're gonna maybe grow that part of the 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 curriculum i doubt it i doubt it, it you know because some of the faculty um that are with us now have done you know uh classes online and most of the time they have not liked it you know mm. it's it's harder to build up a community uh it's harder people don't ask as many questions it's harder to get more of a of a laid-back nature when everybody is on a on a system where they're they're removed they're not they're not all together right the audio people even when you were there even when you were there all the way back from when i first was there mm -hmm. they have always been grouped together you know right. the audio people all stay together the video people all stay together those things are all there when it's like this they're not they're 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 all working isolated they're not going to be um, more apt to just, hey, at the end of the class, let's go on over, let's have a beer at the pub, let's talk about what's, what we just did today. Hey, what right. did you think about using this mic, that mic? And, you know, and there was all this camaraderie. Y you don't get that. I mean, part of the people are miles and miles away. Right. Because they, they're back home, wherever that is. Yeah, remote so, learning might be cool, 
But I think when you're in your formative learning years, I think it's important to be able to have a community that where you learn from each other as well, right? Like you learn from each other's mistakes right. and you learn. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think I, you learn I better by other people's mistakes yeah, because I'm, you're, I, you're not nervous. You're nervous when you're doing it and right. they're watching you. But when you're watching somebody else, hell, you're not nervous at all. And now it's like, oh, geez, they just missed that fader, you know, or well, they should have done this. And they're going to learn way more if if they could stay concentrating on what's supposed to happen. Because mm -hmm. some people can't do that. It's like, oh, I'm not doing it now. Oh, well. And that doesn't work. <clears throat> because now where you should have picked up everything, you didn't. And you just kind of went back in, you know, space mode. Yeah, it's that's, unfortunate. That's a bad thing. Some people never go there. That's, uh, I mean, it, it kind of, it kind of actually kind of is kind of saddening because it's like, I'm, I'm seeing now, you know, with this conversation, I'm seeing how there are multiple occupations and areas of study and, you know, fields of work that, that, that physical, that physical attendance yep. of being there is what makes people great at doing things, you know? And, and then, it, and then it makes sense, right? Like, you know, some of the people that I look up to, like if, you know, like Elon Musk, he's very like hands-on. He goes into the thing. He goes into the factories. He's there with the people and the engineers right there. He's not just zooming in all the time. Like he no, wants to be there with the people. And, you know, and you wouldn't as much feel, as I'm, you wouldn't feel like they were going to pick up everything if you did zoom in. But right. if you're there, you, they they can feel that energy that he's got and then pick it up and then really do what they're supposed to be doing correctly um, and you can't do that remotely you can't right do you, you think know, that there's a possibility even if we could get into that studio right now right right but we can't hold a class in it we would still need camera people a couple of people to help move the mics around so they could be watching everything mm -hmm. would that be nice yeah it would but we can't even do that we could i couldn't even get to my office on you so there's there's no um open date or whatever even on the books at all they're just kind of waiting for what are they waiting for well they're they're actually <clears throat> they're <laughs> i didn't tell you this part <laughs> we're we are supposed to also vacate the building the old building. Yeah, because the science building gets to get demolished and they're going to build a new one. And the science people are going to be using our spaces for their classes. So some of our techs are moving equipment now, but some equipment still has to stay there because a few people are still using it. So, yeah. Is it a little crazy? <laughs> this yeah. whole thing is such a cluster. It's such a cluster. It's ridiculous. I, I mean, just it's... had an email today, just just four hours ago, I guess, um, saying, uh, oh, by the way, uh, we've got to make a decision and we have to make it today. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. And it was because the control room window, looking from the control room to the studio, was scheduled to be a 13-foot wide window is pretty big right that's that's pretty and he big. goes but they looked at the specs 
and now they've determined that if they if you go with the 13 foot window you're going to have to have a, a barrier in the middle uh, for structure split window okay right, right. and they said so either you get the barrier in the middle holding it together or you could get an 11 foot window without that barrier and i said i'm ready for the 11 foot window because i need less reflections anyway um and 11 feet is plenty wide you know we 11 don't feet need pretty bigger big. than that yeah it's crazy yeah you don't need a panorama <laughs> besides i've got cameras in every damn room for god's sake so right i'm good yeah yeah do you do you have you seen a change uh I've always kind of been interested. Have you seen a change in the kind of students that you've been getting throughout the years? Has there been a, cause I mean. No, I don't think so. Uh, for the most part, they're just as into it as everybody has been for, you know, since the beginning. Um, you have to kick them out, you know, to get them out the door sometimes because they want to just keep working. And that's a good uh, sign. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. And and they're driven and they're again really a lot of camaraderie uh with the audio students, just like all the rest of them and Becca. And that's a good thing. I, I think it's great. But right now, right, everybody is, is separated and um that's not helping right. plus yeah there's a lot of budget cutting going on so a lot of of you know cutbacks are are in the in the future at least right now until everything gets back to normal so i'm just hoping that everybody uh keeps to the plan you know of of being separated wearing masks cleaning themselves and all that because if not this could go on for a very long time yeah, it's, it's, I don't want it to. I don't. Yeah, because I mean, it could it could hurt so many things, right? Like it hurt the students, it could hurt the school, yeah. it could hurt future education you know, in general. People, yeah, it, it's yep. gonna hurt education in general. It's hurting everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This is this and all the small businesses. God. Right. They're they're a lot of them are folding up in San Francisco. A lot. Are they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, it's been what eight months? Yeah, like eight months of not working. I mean, come on. Are are <laughs> how, studios how and stuff closed bills, down as well? You know? Like, are recording studios closed down, or what, what's happening? And not that I'm aware of. No, I haven't seen any. I usually hear about <clears throat> any people selling equipment and stuff, and I have not heard that. People, so you think, think people are just trying to like weather the storm and yeah, try to get onto the other side and uh, start back yep. up? Yep. Well, let's yep. hope yeah, that they last. Some, some studios, you know, they were, they're like a tax write-off for some of the people that own the studios. Because <laughs> right. They made their money in other ways. Um, you know, Silicon Valley folks and Google people and, you know, they wanted a tax write-off, so they bought a recording studio. You know, and there, there, are, there are those. Uh, but the, the real commercial studios that have been there a while, as far as I know, they're all still happening. They're not doing as well as they used to. Um, I mean, but but all the the money of the music industry has gone and tailored downhill after about 1975, 80, right, right in there. Um, 
budgets have gotten smaller uh, to, to do records and recording and whatnot. So it's harder. The bands are having to <laughs> the bands are having to tour way more than they used to. Well, uh, yeah, because they're stuck they're in those 360 deals. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when 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 all of the everything that you create is cross collateralized and you're stuck in a 360 deal, how do you expect these musicians to survive if they're not touring all the time? Merchandise. And even that stopped now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that was what what most of them always said was the only time people bought our CDs were when they <laughs> came to our concert. You know? right. And then it's like, well, we went to that show, man, so we got the CD. You know, and it's like, right. okay. But now there's no touring, and you know it's it's a mess. It's really hard on an awful lot of folks. So now it's hurting art as well and creativity. I mean, it's well, but it's also making more people think other ways about it, man. I know right, people true. that are now doing uh, <clears throat> Zoom classes, Zoom classes once a month or once every other week, uh, and we'll teach you how to do voice work and we'll teach you how to control your voice better and you know things like that because you can do that with you can do that with zoom you can't easily um there's a lot of things you can do with it there's some things you just cannot but you know it's making the musicians be a lot more creative in the ways that they can make some money weathering this storm do you think without taking on gigs i've been you know speaking to a bunch of my friends and I really do, I I mean, I believe this, and I might be wrong about this, but I really do feel like there is going to be in the next few years a huge transition from huge institutionalized schooling um, to a a more, what's the word? I I think they're going to, I feel like it's going to be more uh, specified. Like it might go closer to being more like trade schools than being the big universities with the general education and all that stuff because it it's either there the schools are going to make it so that those other kind of classes where everybody's sitting in a room and just looking at the lecturer um they're going to do away with some of that stuff because they're going to realize that they don't need to do it or uh, there's tons of people that i've talked to that are like you know what for the kind of work that i want to be doing all the information's online already. There's there's academies like the Khan Academy and things like that, you know, that are doing all this STEM stuff online. Do you see larger universities kind of becoming smaller in their operations? Because, I mean, people are even talking about, like, why did we go to Harvard to spend all this money if we're just going to be at home learning remotely anyways? Right. I don't think the learning online is going to get much bigger than it than it ever has been. I mm-hmm. don't. Um, <clears throat> from what I've seen, the people who have gone there have not particularly liked what they got, mm-hmm. um, and and they tend to do other things, you know. So they might have picked up some information, but they're really not working in that field because that field wasn't hiring as much or whatever the reason. Um, there's always, I believe, there's always going to be large universities because people do want a degree. They do want to have the clout of that degree, mm-hmm. um, which means a lot. It means that <clears throat> they weren't going to just go to the trade school and learn one little thing, but not necessarily learn how to communicate very well. They're going to have to have 
an assortment of things where they're going to be at least fairly well educated broadly and then they're going to specialize in something that hopefully they really like doing and that there's a, a need for more people to do that mm-hmm. you know and in in this business geez it changes <laughs> so much all like the time. daily yes and so you know like i tell everybody now it's like hey you know if you guys think you just graduated and it's like okay i got it now man you know, I'm going to get my job oh, no, you don't. and I don't have to learn anymore. And I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> if, if you only knew, you know, I might get, I don't know, every 30 days I get five to seven magazines, right? Yeah. That, that is all about either live work, recording work, recording production work, um, you know, acoustic work, all kinds of stuff and computers, you know, everything about computers. We need yeah. to know every single newest thing that there is because we would probably want it you know the only reason i learned how to do computers myself was that i realized right away that i'm getting nailed because i'm keep buying computers about every two years and uh i'm losing an awful lot of money doing that right but i could build them myself why not do that you know because it was easy to do and now i tell all my students it's like look learn how to build guys they're, yes, because they're learning things now in the studio that is way more difficult than building their own computer. Building their own right. computer is easy. That's it's simple. so easy. Okay. It is. So, you know, they and need it's gotten to just even easier now. That. I understand. It yeah. is. I mean, I remember when I used to build you custom know, computers. You keep up with it. Right. Because if you're getting, you know, information like all the time, the computer industry is probably moving faster than the audio industry. Oh, and they're yeah. both going like a bat out of hell. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, but it, it, that is the one good thing, right? Like, or not one good thing. There's tons of good things, but I think it's definitely people are a lot of like do, doom and gloom about what's happening. But I will say there are things happening that are amazing. I mean, yeah, the computer exactly. that I'm using right now, that's essentially a television studio in a box cost me less than a thousand dollars to build. Yep. I mean, I have other equipment that was more expensive, you know, like more things. But the fact that I was able to build a television studio that can do shots like this, switch around from like a single shot, you know, do all this kind of stuff. Um, on the the fly. fact that I can, yeah, I can do it on the fly. I can bring in a website. I can fly in different type of stuff. I can do effects. I mean, this kind of stuff was hundreds of thousands of dollars not too long ago and now i'm doing it i'm sitting right here and i'm doing this i would have never ever ever thought about buying a microphone that plugged in directly with a usb cable this is a usb microphone wow and it sounds clean as hell yeah it sounds fine and it was 60 bucks wow and it came with the mount and the shock mount like I can move this thing around, you know, it's like, sure. it came with a USB cable, came with everything. I'm, I'm still I... holding mine, man. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, you couldn't do this. Before. I don't have, you know, it was weird. I don't have any banquet stands and I have no floor space in my office to put a real stand because I've got plenty of them. There's just no room. So yeah, because a lot of, a lot of the faculty, I was in a department meeting today and they're going, why do you? keep holding your mic you know and they go don't you have any stands and i go yeah i got a lot of them 
but there's no room to put them in my room. So, yeah. <laughs> you got to you got to get one of these, John. This is what What's I used that? to use for a long time. Your road? Yeah, I have a little road lav that actually has an adapter for a phone and can go straight into the computer and it's actually a pretty decent oh, there you microphone. Go. Nice. You know? Um but see like this is the thing. I mean, I can pack up my camera bag, which is a backpack right now, with enough gear to do a three camera uh, a three camera shoot with audio and have a, a, a laptop in there where I could stream live all in my backpack if I wanted to. It's amazing. You know it what is. I mean? It's amazing. Like yeah. Carrying a television studio on your back. like We've, we've come a long way, man. We have. It's there's totally no cool. It. It's totally cool. I think there's tons of things that people can still learn without having to go into a school. Um, but it's blatantly apparent that if we don't if we don't open back up and if we don't let students come back in and be able to have someone like you, like a mentor, you know, like have that apprenticeship kind of feel to, to education, see the whole thing happen. Right. Right. It, we're yeah, going to lose something. No, I, I agree. Completely. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't see how because it does it does feel a little bit, John, it really does feel a little bit like they're pushing for everybody to be separated. Who it, is they? Like the, the media, you know what I mean. Like oh. it really does feel like the media is perpetuating this whole. Oh, you don't need to be in big spaces. You don't need. I mean, there was a there was a thing that came out uh, just recently. There was a um, I don't remember which station it was, but there were a bunch of anchors on there and stuff like that talking about how you should stop singing Happy Birthday because the plosive sounds could spread the disease. <laughs> Oh man, I bet you they went to real colleges for that. <laughs> <laughs> man, yeah, oh, I, man. It just you know, get a bigger sock on your mic. That's all right. you need. Do something, man. Anyways, I listen. I I gotta say, I'm not gonna keep you too much longer. I really appreciate you coming on here. I think it's. I think when people get to see people like you, who have been educators for so long, like 47 years, that's not a joke, John. You know, most people no, do not. not stick around and they don't have the legacy that you have of being a real educator. And I'm harping on that and I'm getting on that because I think that I don't think people are giving enough um, credit where credit's due for real teachers, for real educators. Um, I distinctly remember my good, the teachers that I really, really looked up to. Um, and they were few and far in between, like, you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. so I, I, one of the things that I want to impart on people with talking to you is to, is to just say like, I, I, my entire career changed and the trajectory changed and there was, there was, there was a hopefulness about it because I was able to be around a teacher like you and I hope that, you know, people see that we need to encourage more people to go into teaching. Um, like I was offered oh, to I stay agree. at state, yeah. get my, get, do my master's and then go on to the PhD track. And then I, I was encouraged to do that uh, when I was at mm -hmm. state. And, um, but at the time I was like, dude, I'm a kid. 
Like I, I was two <laughs> years ahead of in everybody else that I was graduating with. I was two years younger than everybody, and I was like, I'm a kid. I want to go out there and do the work. Um, yeah, b- and, but... and 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 that's a good thing to do. Okay, I mean, we're teaching people to be able to do that, and uh, is that enjoyable? Yeah, I mean, I know when I wanted to do it, that was what I was going to do. I mean, I was going to play, and I was going to I was going to keep playing, and I was going to keep doing that work, and it. It turned out that I started playing with some really great players, right, at that level, um, and I, I was sitting to myself, you know, because I was I had to go to the studio, right, and work at the mastering room, and I'm like, wow, do I really want to practice that much? Because this guy was practicing four to six hours by himself, mm-hmm. and then we would go to a rehearsal for a gig. Right. Wow. And and he's a great player. He's really well known. I mean, he's one of the best guitar players in the world. And and I just went, I think it's great that I'm good enough to play with him. But I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> I, I really I, you know, I, I, that was I was questioning myself at that point. And that was maybe let's see. That was maybe. I don't even know if I had graduated yet. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I was still, I was at state, I was taking classes and I was in the mastering rooms and I was playing in bands uh, and I was living in the South Bay at that moment. I was living in the Santa Cruz mountains actually. Wow. And, you know, so I was really commuting a couple days a week, just, you know, take classes to finish. And I, I, I just go, man, that, this kid's gonna, he's gonna really make it big. And within, I don't know, six months, eight months, he was playing in really big blues bands. He tours to LA, gets picked up by a different band, goes on a European tour, and was playing on the Bangladesh uh, show with George Harrison. Wow. All in one single year. That's how it goes, isn't it? And now he's got, you know, videos and books on blues playing and all this stuff, you know. And I was like, you know, it's great to play with those guys, but that was when I really realized either I have to really keep doing that and taking the time to do that because that's why he's that good. You know, I mean, I'd go over there and he'd be playing an L five while he's frying his eggs for breakfast with splatter, <laughs> you know, with oil onto the guitar. And then he'd just take a cloth and rub it into the guitar. You know, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, do you ever stop playing or what? You know, yeah, and he could sit down at the keyboard, play as well as I could. Then I realized, wait a minute, how long have you been playing the guitar? Mm-hmm. It's two years. And I go, okay, wait a minute, what were you playing before that? He goes, oh yeah, tenor sax. He goes, when did you start that? Oh, when I was about seven, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why he was so good. I mean, he was a right. musician at heart. He went all the way through. His father was a musician. His brothers are musicians. That that's kind of what it takes you know you 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 need to want to do that and i just went i'm not sure i don't like to rehearse all that much i mean i like to play gigs but you know to sit there and work by myself just to get my own chops better i'm kind of getting past that and i was really like working in the studios and i wanted to see myself work more with full bands in the studio rather than just mastering and that's what i did that's exactly what i did you know, you you said that you didn't really 
it wasn't like a, a full on decision. I'm going to become an educator for my career. No. Like that wasn't, that wasn't the no. thing for you. Um, no, because that was, that was, that was my mentor. Right. You know, the guy before me was Bing Crosby's sound man. Sound well, I mean, and did, did all kinds of stuff. He was the video editor for the, for the twilight zones. Really? Oh yeah. He was a photographer. He was, you know, that's amazing. Looking yep. back, though, do you do you feel like? I mean, obviously, you're not the kind of man that really has regrets. But like, do you do you look back and look at your career and say, you know what, I freaking did it? Like, do you feel that way? Uh, pretty much most of the time, because yeah, I've done what I wanted to do all the way through. You know, whether it was working with bands more this time or whether it was working uh, more classes and working at more of an education so that I could go in and teach better, whatever it happened to be. Um, so I've changed courses, but I didn't change all that far. Yeah. Do you really, do you I mean, do you meet a lot of um, like your old students and stuff like like obviously I'm one of your old students, but, you know, like yep. they're all over the place, aren't they? They are all over the place. Yeah, my <laughs> wife used to just, it's like, you know, we'd be in Europe or we'd be somewhere far away. And then we'd be walking down the street and somebody would see me and go, hey, John, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, they were a student from, you know, the 80s or the 70s or the 90s. Or the, you know, and it's like, wow, it, it's really kind of a trip. Uh, but, yeah, we have students that, that started working in almost every country in the world all from state and that's so cool so man. when you're traveling around yeah a lot of people do recognize you yeah it's crazy because you know it's like i haven't been all around the world but i've been all over the united states uh been to canada been to new zealand been to australia uh you know went to dubai once uh went uh went to kuwait um you know went to england scotland ireland uh, with the work that I was doing, I, I, I got to, I got all over the place, man. Like I, I, and I was like, and I was thinking to myself, like, shoot, I, you know, like I'm 36 years old. I still got a way to go. Right. Uh, I'm going to work till they won't let me, um, <laughs> you know, but like, that's how I feel. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. Um, I enjoy it. But I, I, I attribute a lot of that to you, John. I really do appreciate it. Now I keep thanking you over and over and over again, but I can't thank you enough. I really can't because, um, you made it possible for me to realize like wait no I can actually make because I'll tell you this to be perfectly honest even though I had already been kind of quote working in the industry doing live sounds and stuff like that on the weekends as a kid mm -hmm. before I got to San Francisco State there was always a thing in the back of my mind that oh no this is probably still going to be a hobby like I'm going to have to go out there and, and, and get some ridiculous job that I don't like um and I'm not going to be able to, but then I realized when I was in school with you and through the things that you taught us and how, how it's possible to really make a career doing this. I Absolutely. was like, I was like, heck yes, I'm going to go do this. Now my career has changed drastically since I left San Francisco state. Um, but there was a path laid there, you know, a lot that's of the what people, happens. that's what yeah. happens a lot. They do. I mean, we, we've had, we've had a person, who was way before your time, uh, you know, like in the 70s, 75, 76. And he, uh, he really wanted to be a recording engineer. You know, that was what he really wanted to do. But 
when he was there, I go, look, while you're here, you should take video production. You should take other classes because we don't know what the future is going to hold. We have no idea. Right. So he did. Right. And only because I told him that he should. should right? I go, you're a production student. Take as much production as you possibly can and get through everything. Right. So he's working. He got a job at Wally Hyders in San Francisco. And then Wally Hyders was going to close. And they only mm. took two people from Wally Hyders, San Francisco, and moved them to L.A., right? Interesting. So he's working in L.A. He's there four or five months. After four or five months, he saw his name up on a, 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 a chart, you know, that had who's going to do this session and that session. And he goes, uh, you know, and he called because he was nervous. And he goes, I don't know, man. I, I got this session, and they're not telling me who it is. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't understand. I've never been on a session like this, um, but I'll let you know, you know, because I'm kind of worried right now. It was the Rolling Stones. Oh, With shit. Glenn Johns, with Glenn Johns producing. At the end of the session, they were in there for a few months. At the end of the session, Glenn Johns turns around to this guy, Sean Fullen, and he goes, I like you. He goes, I have never worked with an engineer like you ever. Because wow. Sean was from the lumber areas, Arcata, you know, in California. And so, you know, he was really down to earth kind of guy, much more Super so chill dude. than, yeah, than most people. And he loved that. So he took him with him. And the next thing I knew, I got a letter from, from London, because that's where he was then working with the Stones. And he did that for, I don't know, two years. He starts working with Clapton and then he did a Lou Reed album in New York. And he was working with either Lou Reed or Clapton, and they were they were they were talking about what an idiot these television guys were doing because they wanted them to do an MTV thing because MTV had mm. just started, right? And he goes, "They're they're asking us to do this and that, and man, I, we don't even want to deal with these people." And the, and Sean just turned around and he goes, "Hey, I could do that for you." Nice. I mean, you know, nice. Goes, there it is. Our, our sound. And he goes, no, but I could do that. I, I really can't. He is now the top video producer of live shows. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Huge, there it is right there. All his own equipment up at a penthouse in New York someplace. Yeah. So, yeah, That's I stay crazy. in touch with quite a few of them. Actually, that's crazy. And, and there it goes there. There it is right there. And you know what? I could tell you a kind of similar story that happened to me. I obviously didn't work with a big band, uh, big name band or anything like that. But um, I was in the part of my career where I was making more money as a video editor and a photographer than I was as an audio engineer. Uh, this is back when I was living in L.A. And um, at a certain point. Uh, you know, the economy was just was not doing well. So I started working for this like medical marketing company um, as like the video editor. And uh, after six months, I took over the department. And um, after working there for a while, I kind of hated working for the, you know, the doctors and just stuff doing, like that. Just yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I quit and decided that I was going to drive Uber for about a year while I built up my freelance uh, stuff again. And build my own photography studio and do more audio production stuff. And 10 months in, I met somebody that wanted to do something. And then like like a few weeks later, I got this offer uh, to be 
uh, an audio video production engineer and technical director for a uh, a tour that was you know in an RV traveling around the country and the world uh, doing interviews and and things like that and 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 you know I had never built a television studio type thing or done anything like that in a RV or done a live production on the road like I'd never done that before but I was like wait a minute I do know how to do this stuff yeah absolutely yep it, it's it's you know it's like really connect the dots man I mean you know yeah. it's like when you when you know how technical things happen and what makes them work uh, you could pretty much do anything you really can. I tell people all the time, I like young, younger people that are interested in doing the kind of work that, you know, we do. Um, the number one thing I tell them is don't be a one trick pony. Just, That's you know, right. like do not you never be know a what's one trick happen. pony. You never know what's going to happen. Things change. You have no control over the way it's changing. Yeah. All you I mean, I'm podcasting now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things have changed drastically. I'm podcasting. Yes. That's, that's I would have never thought. I used to hate being in front of the camera. I actually I still hate it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just me, so it doesn't, weird. Doesn't make any doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. Um, Once but, you get you used know, to a stage, cameras and live is a lot worse than cameras. Yeah, a lot. Well, you know, because yeah. I'm a crazy person, so I decided to do the show live. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, but once again, John, I want to thank you. I'm not going to keep you any longer. I really, really do love the fact that you came on. Um, I have immense respect for you. I'm going to let you go. And I'm just going to say to everybody that's watching, I, I want to thank everybody for coming on and, and, and anybody who watched. I don't know how many viewers there were. I wasn't really paying attention because I wanted to talk to John. Uh, but <laughs> I, I want to thank everybody that's watching now, watched us live or is going to watch the replay. I just want to implore everybody to, um, you know, support your teachers, support the educational, uh, the, the educators in this world that really do create um, create people who go out there and, and do amazing things. Uh, John has been an educator that has, that has far reaching, um, you know, experience, far reaching uh, influence beyond what most people will ever even know. And, and so I thank John. I want to thank you. I want to thank San Francisco state, honestly. Um, and I want to thank you for being on the show, John. So I, I just want to say one last thing, just a shameless plug. If you guys want to support podcasts like this, want to support listening to amazing people like John come on and talk about their career and educate all of us on what's going on, you want to see more stuff like this, check out anewgetsreal.com. You probably see it in my lower thirds right here. Check out anewgetsreal.com. I have a shop there with some merchandise. I have links to all my different social media platforms where this show is going out live and is also available for replay. There is a donation platform on the website through PayPal. Uh, you can also donate via cryptocurrency and if you want to join a different community there is a, a community um patreon style page called locals that i'm a part of i left patreon because of their political stuff but i'm on locals and you can reach all that stuff through my website anewgetsreal.com ladies and gentlemen one more time dr john barsodi thank you so much and thank, thank you, so you anu it was wonderful to be with you and talk to you for a while and and 
good good days and hopefully pandemic will be over soon for everybody thank you john i'm just gonna sign off here all right guys see you next time that was uh new gets real with dr john barsodi thank you for being on the show and uh yeah we just got real